So, it's another new year. And no doubt you're, if you're a smoker, you're probably making yet another resolution to make this year the year that you give up, or at least reduce the amount of cigarettes you smoke. And it doesn't really matter what your motivation is, whether it's for your own health, whether it's for the health of those around you, so the health of your family and friends, whether it's a financial consideration, whether you're looking to to save some money, or whether it's because you just would like a little bit more confidence, not to feel so dependent on something outside of yourself. So whichever one of those is your motivation, in this podcast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you actually to a very, it's actually a very old technique, but it's something that's only recently gained a lot of credibility in scientific circles. And, and just recently at Yale Medical School has been shown to beat even the gold standard approach by the American Lung Association for actually giving up smoking. So hopefully this this podcast is going to show you how to not only reduce the number of cigarettes you smoke, but actually give up altogether. But I guess the starting point is to realize that if you do smoke and you're wanting to give up, you're absolutely not alone. So according to, to Cancer Research UK, over 10 million people smoke in the UK right now. And that's a, a pretty even balance between both men and women, just slightly more men smoking than women. With the average smoker smoking 13 cigarettes a day, I don't know how that compares to your your own daily daily count, but there are, I guess there are different types of smokers. So it's for you to identify: are you a, are you a social smoker? Do you only smoke when you when you go out with friends? Only in the evenings, perhaps? Are you a secret smoker? Are you the only person that knows about it? Do you have to buy mints on the way home from work? Do you have to spray your clothes with deodorant so that your your partner or your friends don't find out? Are you a, a drinking smoker? So if you have a, a pint or a, a G&T in one hand, you have to have a cigarette in the other. It doesn't feel natural otherwise. Maybe you're a workplace smoker. Perhaps it's because you're, you're bored with your job or, ironically, Going outside to have a cigarette is an excuse to, to go out into the, the fresh air. Or maybe you're a stressed out smoker. Maybe it's just when life feels a little bit overwhelming or that you feel very tense that you find some kind of comfort or solace in a cigarette. And I guess potentially you could even be a chain smoker, addicted, uh, desperately wanting to give up, but at the same time not feeling able to. So we all know the dangers, right? We we know the reasons why we shouldn't smoke, and yet that doesn't seem to stop us smoking for whatever reason. And I think a lot of that is to do with motivation, but we'll we'll come to that a little later on. But I think it is worth just knowing that 10% of all deaths in the world come from smoking either directly or indirectly and 80,000 of those were in the UK alone just last year again we know it cancer is probably the biggest killer but you're also much more likely to suffer from heart lung or respiratory diseases as well and that's just the health implications and that's just the health implications for ourselves not for the family and friends around us as well but there's also the financial implications so the average pack of cigarettes in the UK, you, if you're a smoker, you probably already know it. It's over £6 a pack now. 
So if you smoke the average amount of cigarettes, that's 1,260 pounds a year spent on cigarettes. As a country, that's 17.7 billion pounds. It's a vast amount. And that's just what we're spending as individuals. And then, of course, there's the cost to society, to the country, with the NHS having to spend five billion pounds a year looking after people who are suffering from either whether it's directly or indirectly suffering from illnesses as a result of smoking. So why do we do it? We, we know the dangers. We know the health risks. We know that it hurts our purse as much as it does or our wallet as much as it does our health. But why do we do it? Well, for most people, habitual smoking forms around positive and negative associations. So it might be that you had a cigarette after a very good meal or while you were having a really good night out. Equally, it could be a negative association, such as when you felt very stressed or overwhelmed by something. So when we experience those same cues of positive or negative again in the future, it triggers the same desire for a cigarette. And we then get into a very negative pattern where we experience a craving, uh, we, we feel bad about experiencing the craving, perhaps even have a cigarette to make us feel better, temporarily feel good about having a cigarette, but then feel bad again. And this kind of loop tends to be very destructive for most people. And the funny thing is that even though 70%, more than 70% of smokers say they want to quit, fewer than 5% achieve this goal annually. And there's got to be a reason for that. And I think it's because most approaches actually have a, a very modest success rate. And that's usually because they're reliant on one of three things. So the first one is willpower. So we're only able to sustain that will for so long. We, no matter how enthusiastic we are about it, no matter how motivated we are about it on the 1st of January, by the time... February comes around or even the middle of January, we're already starting to feel that willpower start to wane a little bit. So that's not really a, a permanent solution for most people. The second one is that it's almost impossible to avoid things that remind us of smoking. So if it's mental cues that trigger that reaction to reach out for a cigarette, then how do we go about avoiding those? When we walk down the street and we smell smoke, we see people lighting up, we see packs of cigarette in the supermarket. It's almost impossible to avoid all those cues. And then the third reason, I guess, is that although there are substitutes out there for nicotine in the form of cigarettes, they're not always available and it's not the way that everybody kind of wants to go. So as I say, this, this new approach, this approach of mindfulness, it's something that was has been studied intensively and just recently one particular bit of research which has stood out for me is is by Dr. Judson Brewer at Yale School of Medicine. So as I said in the introduction, it's it was shown that this approach was more effective than the gold standard set by the American Lung Association. And the technique that was used was mindfulness. And the approach and the reason that this is so different from the other the other approaches I mentioned before, is that it's not about ignoring the craving. It's not about resisting the craving. 
nor is it about indulging the craving. Now, usually we're nearly always involved in one of those things. Either we're just not aware of it and we're smoking before we even knew we were smoking, or we're very aware of it and we indulge it. We throw ourselves into it and have cigarette after cigarette, or we resist it very strongly. And in resisting it, funnily enough, we actually create such a, a rigid, inflexible mind that we end up doing the very thing that we set out trying to avoid. So mindfulness isn't even about substituting the craving for cigarettes with something else or finding a distraction for that craving. It's learning how to sit with craving and with stress without habitually reacting to those emotions. So instead of trying to get away from the craving, we learn to sit with it, allow it to exhaust itself, if you like, to wash over us, and thereby break the habitual pattern and association of smoking. And if you're wondering just how effective it was, in this particular study that ran for just four weeks, with just less than 20 minutes of meditation a day, there was a 90% decrease in the number of cigarettes smoked on average from 18 to just two a day. And of the participants, 35% of them quit completely. Now we're now four months past the end of that study and the results so far have been maintained. And if they continue to be maintained over the entire year, then mindfulness will quite rightly be comparable to many of the different treatments out there that actually use medication. So don't forget to check out the science page on getsomeheadspace.com and we'll, we'll keep you up to date with all of that research as it comes out. Now by now there's a pretty good chance that you're wondering how you go about learning this technique. And the scientists at Yale seem to think that the, the easiest way of learning mindfulness is to begin a daily meditation practice. In fact that was a big part of the study. They called it something different, they called it mindfulness of breathing. But actually, that's, that's all med meditation is. It's a technique that allows you to learn how to be more mindful, more aware, and more present in the moment, rather than caught up in lots of thoughts and swept away by those sort of overpowering emotions. So as I say, at Headspace, you can begin to learn mindfulness completely free of charge. In fact, we're working with Yale now as well. And you, so you can just try it for 10 days. See if you like it. See if it works for you. Remember, it's about training the mind rather than trying to get away from anything external. We're turning our attention inwards and looking at the, the cause of the problem rather than the symptom. But just to finish, I'd just like to give you a few tips a few key mindful elements that came out of a lot of that study so the first thing is to think about why you smoke thinking about the mental cues so what environments is it that you're most likely to smoke in is it sounds or smells that trigger the desire to smoke what sense is it that triggers that craving what people is it a lot of people only smoke with certain groups of friends or family. They ne never smoke on their own, actually, sometimes. So just take a moment to think about which people you tend to smoke with. What activities you associate with smoking. A lot of people will only have a cigarette after a certain type of activity. I'm not thinking of any in particular. Whatever it might be. And then what thoughts you usually have 
before you have a cigarette? Is the mind usually quite happy, quite content before you have a cigarette? Or is there perhaps a feeling of frustration or impatience or something else present? So knowing how you feel, that's so important, such an important part of mindfulness. Getting into the body, understanding what the craving feels like, what the sensations of craving feel like. Where in the body you experience those sensations. So as you learn mindfulness, you learn to bring the body and mind together rather than just being caught up in a lot of mental activity. But one of the nicest things and one of the strongest, I guess, uh, conclusions that came out of this bit of research was something that was called urge surfing. Um, So just to explain what that is very briefly, again, rather than resisting the urge to smoke, rather than indulging the urge to smoke, you actually allow the craving sensation to wash over you rather than trying to reduce it or indulge it. It's a four-step process, and Yale came up with this acronym of, of RAIN to help you remember it. So when you feel a craving, number one, R, recognize it. Be aware of the craving and relax into that experience. The second one, A, accept it. Don't run away from the craving. Instead, try to label it, to see it clearly as a craving, as something you don't necessarily have to engage with. So it's more a case of, ah, yeah, okay, craving, I see it. The third one, I, investigate it. Be interested, be curious. When you become curious and interested in something, the dynamic of it starts to change. It starts to be a little bit more spacious. It's easier to have a a greater sense of perspective towards it. And the fourth one, N, is to note it or to label it. So when you see it in your mind, you actually label or note the experience. It might be the feeling of tightness in the body. It might be the feeling of anxiety in the mind. Whatever it is, by noting it and labelling it, it enables you to step back and to get a little bit more space between yourself and the craving. So remember, mindfulness, this technique is incredibly simple to learn. Of course, it takes a little while longer to actually master, as does the urge surfing. But as long as you keep your eye on the goal and you move from day to day, with a balanced, determined, but relaxed attitude, then you're very, very likely to reach your New Year resolution this year. And as a final, final note, remember that as you're doing this, to be kind to yourself. So scientists have have discovered that when we're, we're kind to ourselves, we're actually less likely to indulge the craving. So whenever possible, be patient and try to avoid being too critical or judgmental of yourself.